Well, again, good morning. Welcome. My name is Nathan. It's uh, just great to be with all of you. I need to be here this morning. I need the church. I need to be able to sing those songs and hear God's word. And so it's a joy uh, to gather with you. Um, and so thanks, thanks for being a part of this with us. And one of the, one of the things that just seems like overwhelming, and maybe you even notice this during this like stand and greet time, it's always a little bit awkward, but we, we want people who are new to feel welcomed and, and cared for. We know it's, it's an awkward thing. And like so many of us here, so many of you are here, like you're new, right? And, and one of the things that we've noticed, and, and reg- like regardless of, of what has brought you here new uh, this morning or new over the last several months, like we are really, really glad you're here. But one of the, one of the things that we've noticed le- right recently, it's actually kind of caught us off guard. Like in some ways, this has been, I mean, this has always been true. And yet it feels like more and more frequently, many, many of you are here because your previous church or, or a church at some point in your story has hurt you. You come to this church wounded by your last church. In fact, if I were to ask for a show of hands, I'm not, I'm not going to, but if I were, I'm convinced like we would be crushed by the number of us in this room who have been deeply disappointed by church. Maybe all of us, right? And I just, I just want to say I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry that sometimes pastors and spiritual leaders can be terrible. I'm sorry that churches can grow toxic. I'm sorry that places that are meant to be filled with grace and humility and the presence of Jesus, somehow those things can be traded for power and pride and judgment. I'm really sorry. And we, we hope that you find something different here. I mean, we can't promise that you will. We're also broken. If you look deep enough, if you stay long enough, we're going to disappoint you as well. But I, I hope this can be a place of healing for you, a place of refreshment. We pray that regularly for you as you come into this place. I mean, church, church is a mess, isn't it? I mean, do you ever sometimes wonder why we even bother still 2,000 years later? Because, like, at its, church, at its worst, like, church can be boring. It can, it can feel useless. It can be downright hurtful, right? I mean, think about that. Boring, useless, hurtful. We should put that on the, uh, on the sign, right? Join us Sundays. <laughs> um, I mean, that's, that's at its worst, right? I mean, at its, at its best, it could be family, life-giving, life-changing, like filled with, with, with joy, and yet knowing the dangers. Why are you here? I mean, especially, especially those of you who have been hurt most recently, why haven't you given up on church? Last week, we started a new series in the book of Revelation, like the last book of the Bible, right? Super fun. This, this morning, uh, the Apostle John, like he's the dude who saw all this into the world craziness, like vi- had this, this incredible vision, wrote it down for us in this, this strange, bizarre book called Revelation. But this morning, the Apostle John, in many ways, he answers that question for us. Why haven't we given up on church? Because think about this, like John is writing just 60 years or so after the resurrection, okay? So like church is still brand new, basically. But already, it's a mess. 
I mean, that should maybe give us a little bit of hope, I guess, for us. Like, already there, just a few decades later, it is, it is broken. And we're going to spend the next seven Sundays, actually, looking at seven different letters written to seven individual congregations. This is what Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are made of. Jesus' words himself to his church. Words of rebuke and words of encouragement. But why does Jesus even bother? Well, before we get to those letters, again, that'll start next week. There's seven of them. You can start reading ahead. They're short little letters in chapter two and chapter three. But before we get there, here in chapter one, that's where Reed started us off last week, and we're in the second half of chapter one this morning, we see this, 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 the answer to this question of why. Why church? Why do we do this? Why are you here? And I know maybe this sounds like incredibly simplistic. Like, and even as I say it, some of you are going to roll your eyes over it, but why, why, why church? Well, the answer that John shows us in Revelation is because Jesus is here. Jesus is here. The real Jesus, his real presence is actually with us somehow when we gather. And yeah, of course, Jesus is, is everywhere. And yes, the Holy Spirit lives within all who believe, and, and yet you cannot miss this from Revelation that something unique happens when we gather. And I, I would guess for some of you, even, even, it, even though it sounds ridiculous, unbelievable, right? Even, even though you may not be able to articulate it, I, I would guess for some of you, that is why you're here. Because Jesus is here. Come on, is he? Really? Well, turn to Revelation chapter 1, if you haven't already. I mean, Revelation is totally that weird uncle at the family reunion that nobody wants to talk to. You're kind of glad he's there, but you want to keep your distance, right? It's just, it's so bizarre. And it's important to remember, right, as, as Reed said last week, it's not, it's not written as a code for us to decipher, to, to figure out when Jesus is going to come back. That's, that's not why it was written. So often we come with when, and it's, those, those aren't the, that's not the question it's trying to answer. Its primary purpose is for now. Revelation was written to equip the church for today. It's not about surviving until the end of the world. It's about thriving now in the midst of the end. And so what, is it, what does it look like for us to be a church for the end of the world? Well, I want to read our passage for us this morning. I'm going to make you stand. Sorry about that. Can we stand for the reading of God's word together? It's a little bit longer. I'll try to read it quickly. But our scripture reading this morning is Revelation 1, verses 9 through 20. I, John... Your brother and partner in the tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a, with a golden sash around his chest. 
The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. Let me pray for us as we jump in. Father, we need your help to understand and to apply, to live into this reality. Help us to believe that Jesus, Jesus, that you are here with us right now. That you are here to empower us to make these words on a page spoken so feebly by me and you're you are here to make them live within our hearts. And so we plead with you to do that now. In Christ's name, amen. And this isn't even the weird stuff yet. I mean, seriously, like, oh man, it gets so much weirder, right? This is, this is like the, the normal part uh, of, of Revelation. And, and, and yeah, okay, so let me kind of set the context here for us. There's a lot that happened in those, in those verses. I'll try to focus it for us. But, but John, you see, he's on the, the island of Patmos, and he's been forced there by the Roman authorities because he keeps talking about this new king who was dead but not live. And they're like, better to just keep him over there, okay? So they banished him to this spot so he can, you know, so he has less influence because he's just obsessed with Jesus. And John says it's the Lord's Day. Okay, that's a Sunday. So this is like com- commemorating the resurrection. Like this is what we as Christians have grabbed onto. This is, this is our day. and We've been doing this for a really long time. Right? It's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Sunday. And John hears a voice like a trumpet. And Jesus basically says, hey, John, I want you to write seven letters for me to seven churches. Now, now keep in mind, this is, this is really important. This is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. And so John knew Jesus, knew him, knew him. Like he, he saw the miracles with his own eyes. He, he heard the sermons straight from Jesus' mouth. They, they hung out together, right? He saw Jesus crucified and he witnessed Jesus alive again after his death. That's this John. And maybe... Maybe John recognizes his voice, or maybe when he turns around, John recognizes his face. But there was Jesus standing before him. Look again at verse 12. He says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Now, this is, this is really important. In fact, I think this is like key to understanding this entire passage, okay? So don't don't tune this part out, okay? Now, the Son of Man, that's, that's Jesus, okay? It's a normal title for him uh, in the New Testament. That, that's, that's Jesus. And he's standing there in the midst of seven lampstands. This is really important. 
Because verse 20, if you were listening, Jesus said that those seven lampstands are actually the seven churches. Okay, so there's some, some rich symbolism happening here. In, in the Old Testament, there, were, there was a lampstand in the temple symbolizing God's presence. And so, so Jesus is showing John in this moment that the church is meant to be a new kind of temple, not, not a building, but a gathering for God's presence, a gathering of his people for his presence. And Jesus is standing there among his churches, which means Jesus is with his church. Like, that's, that's the main point that he's trying to communicate here in this spot, that Jesus is actually with us, that the lampstands are the church, and that Jesus is there in the midst of his church. And if that's true, like, if we actually believe that Jesus is here, like, that would, that would change everything, wouldn't it? I mean, even just for example, imagine right now with me if Patrick Mahomes walked in. I mean, first of all, I'd be a little bit nervous for this afternoon, right? A little panic. With, but after that, like, some of you would lose your minds, right? Like, it would, it would be, for some of you, it would be the best day in your sad little lives, right? <laughs> it would. And, and we would worship, wouldn't we? Don't, don't lie to yourself. You know you would. Like, we, 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 we would all do it, right? It would change everything. And if, if Jesus is actually here, We're going to see three things that should be different about his church. Three things that should be true about Christ's community. This should be a test for us people. If Jesus were to write a letter to us, what would he say? Dear Christ community. What would he say? Okay, so John, John sees Jesus in this moment, and, and it's not, this is really important, it's not this guy, okay? As much as I love it, right? It's not him, right? People send me ridiculous pictures of Jesus because they know how it just like, I just, I, I love it, right? But I love, I love in this one, like look how mad the priest and the nun are. Even they are like, Jesus, would you take it down a notch? Like why do you gotta be so nice all the time? But like for many of us, like that's, that's the Jesus we picture, right? Smiley Jesus, cuddly Jesus, weak Jesus, right? The one who will just pat us on the back and tell us everything we wanna, we wanna hear. But no, that's not, that is not who John sees. Look, at, look again at verse, verse 13. Meet scary Jesus, okay? Like, there you go. That's, that's what John sees. Now, now these, these images, okay, they're not, they're not meant to be literal, as if Jesus now walks around these days with a sword coming out of his mouth. Can you, can you imagine that? Mommy, I don't want to go to heaven. Like, it's, like that's, that's not what's happening, okay? It's not meant to be literal. It's, it's meant to grab us. I mean, it's sort of like, this is a bad example, it's sort of like us using emojis or gifts today, right? There, there's something in the image that grabs us, and that, that's what John is doing as he describes. Like, the, Jesus is, is showing something about himself, more than just a literal image, but something that's meant to stir up who we believe Jesus is. And walk, walk through those verses with me. We'll have them on the screen if you have your Bible open. I'm just going to kind of explain what, what's happening there. So he's, picture him. He's wearing clothes, the clothes of a dignitary or a high priest. His hair is bright white because of wisdom unimaginable. His, his eyes are on fire because he sees everything. His feet are bronze, strong and pure. His voice is like a waterfall, awe-inspiring and overpowering. He holds stars in his hands. 
symbolizing that he has the power over all powers. A sword from his mouth, for he speaks judgment. And the beauty and glory of his face is like the sun shining in full strength. And so yeah, verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. You better believe he did. And church, we should too. I mean, listen, listen, church, this, this is the first thing. If Jesus is here, the church should fear. Don't, don't miss that, right? If he's really here, like there is a sense in which we should be afraid, like reverence, awe, the real Jesus, not, not cuddly Jesus, the, the Jesus with the eyes of fire who sees everything you've done and everything you haven't done. Every thought you've ever had and every motivation behind every action, he sees all of it. Like if you, if you can read Revelation without being frightened, it's obvious you don't believe it. This is the Jesus who's coming back. Now, if you're a Christian, it's not a, it's not a fear of condemnation or destruction, but it is a sense that we are accountable to him, and, and our obedience and submission to him is for our good. Because he is king over all. He he holds the stars in his hands. He has a sword from his mouth. He has all power, and he knows what's best for us. I mean, what, what is the beginning of wisdom after all? Self-actualization, total freedom, a degree. No, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says that in Proverbs 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The good life starts here, people. But we don't fear him, do we? I mean, is it any wonder that the church can become the mess that it is? We don't fear him. And when, and when we don't, it's, it's sort of like this. Uh, this is, uh, that's a real bear, by the way. Uh, this is from a recent issue of National Geographic. They did a, an issue, an article, on uh, the bizarre trend in, like, wildlife selfies. Like, this is, like, a big deal now. People do this, like, all the time. Uh, and it's, it's a fascinating article on, on all that it is. But here's the thing, like, you know, I don't know a lot about bears. But, like, you look at that, it's like, I don't, like, I don't, I don't think she should do that. I mean, right, anybody else have a different opinion? Like, that's, that's a terrible idea. Like, why on earth would you possibly, you shouldn't do this with bears. We've got another picture. It's even better. Um, I mean, I have so many questions. Uh, I don't really know where to begin. But actually, like, the article is about the amount of torture and drugs that it, that it takes to domesticate fierce animals. And the selfie culture, like, this is what, this, again, this is, this is what we do now. But this is, this is exactly what we try to do with Jesus. And if you don't think you have, you're not looking close enough. We want to tame him, control him, grab a quick selfie with him, and we will drug him, beat him, and crucify him. We will tell him what's right and wrong in our lives. And then we're, then we're surprised when Jesus doesn't change us. We're, we're surprised when, when he doesn't inspire us anymore to worship. 
Like if that, if that is your picture of the king of the universe, of course the church is going to be anemic. You don't, you don't want a Jesus like that. You want one who's scary, don't you? Revelation shows us the undomesticated Jesus. And again, I don't, I don't know about you, but I want an untamable God. I want a God who's strong and powerful, who's, whose glory and beauty are unma- un- unmatchable, who's, who's worthy of our worshipful fear and reverence. Church, do you fear the Lord? Do you fear him? Let me just ask quick, three quick diagnostic questions here to kind of get at that. Question number one, does your Jesus look, act, think, vote, sound exactly like you do? If you do, you have a tame Jesus. If he likes all the same things you do, you're like, you're missing it, right? Question number two, does your Jesus approve of most everything you do? I mean, I know the Bible says this, but my Jesus is okay with it, right? Like, that's not Jesus. That's you, right? It's your imagination, here, one, one, more, one more diagnostic question. Why do you come to church? For a little advice? I don't have any. Sorry. To be served? Affirmed? To see Reed in skinny jeans? <laughs> Gross. Or, or do you come for Jesus? That's where I'm trying to go, okay? Is that why you're here, though? Like, to submit to him. To serve, to give, to love, to worship. To, to, to like John here, to fall on your face before him as though dead. To meet with him every single week. If not, then you don't believe that he's here. And even if you did, he's nothing more than a drugged and tortured grizzly. Tamed by our weak imagination. Is that the Jesus you want? Churches that stop fearing the Lord grow useless and toxic, trivial and hurtful. And that's not who we want to be. If he is here, we should fear. That's the first thing. Second, Second, if Jesus is here, the church should never fear. Wait a second, but Nathan, you just said, I know, I know. But if he's, if he's really here, we should never be afraid. I mean, if you, if you fear God, you will fear nothing else. If you don't fear God, you will fear everything else. And, and you can't miss that in in this story, because when, when scary Jesus speaks, <laughs> he puts all of our fears to rest. Look what he says to John. Go back to verse 17. But when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me. He's not a ghost, people. He has a body even now. He is alive even now. 
I love his tenderness. He reaches out. I was like, I know I'm scary. But he grabs John's arm. But he laid his, his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. I am the first and the last, the living one. I mean, this is, a, this is a claim to be God, the God of all history. And he's saying, before your fears were, I am. And after your fears are long gone, I will still be. I was dead, but not anymore. And that's the most important thing we as a church believe, right? If, if Jesus didn't come back to life, then what we're doing here is a joke. But if he did, that changes everything, everything. And yes, I mean, he goes there, he says, yeah, yeah, death in Hades, okay, it's a little weird, but like, those are still real. I mean, death, darkness, evil, pain, that's, that's the idea of Hades, all that is broken and evil. They're real, he says, but I have the keys now, not the snake. I'm in the driver's seat, he's saying. And one day soon, those things will be no more. Jesus holds all of history. He wins over, over death. All that is evil will lose. Which is why Oswald Chambers once wrote, fear God, fear nothing else. Don't fear God, fear everything else. If you fear God, you have nothing else, have nothing else left to fear. And yet, how many of us live our lives based on fear? How many of us are consumed with worry? How many of us continue to try to control and live for safety and security? How many of us? Fear makes us do crazy things, doesn't it? My daughter, Eden, uh, she's, she's 10. She is the toughest, one of the toughest, bravest people I know. I mean, she is she's strong and she is fearless except around snakes. I mean, she's almost as scared of snakes as Reed is. Not quite, that guy. Sorry. Okay, so we were on this hike, right? And it was just a couple weeks ago, and it was a beautiful, beautiful day. It was in a, a, recent, a nearby state park, and everything was, was glorious until the snake. And it was a narrow trail, and so uh, I was first, and then Eden, and then David, and then, and then Kelly. And we're on this, this, this trail, this hike, and we're moving pretty fast. And I don't even see the snake at first. Just walk right on by, but Eden steps right on it. And she loses her mind. Like, she, she darts off. She's ahead of me in, like, you know, no, no time at all. She's way up there. And so now it's, like, me and Eden up here, uh, and then David and Kelly in the back, and the snake is in between us. Uh, and it's a narrow path. It's impossible to go out. And the snake is like, I'm not going anywhere. This is my house, man. It's like, it, it, just, it just stayed there. And so Eden, she, like, she looks at me with, with all sincerity, with panic in her voice. And she says, Dad, we got to go. I was like, well, what? She's like, no, we, we have got to go now, Dad. We just, we got to leave. It's like, uh, she was basically saying, we, we cannot save them, okay? We could save ourselves. Dad, we could get a new family, okay? I mean, she didn't say that, okay? Just to be clear, she said, don't tell them I said that. She didn't say that. Uh, but that was like the idea. I mean, if it had been up to her, like they would have, they would have had to go and find their way back through the woods, back to our car, some other route. They might still actually be there. She's like, Dad, we just, we just have to go, right? But that's, like, that's what fear does. 
Fear makes us do terrible things, ridiculous things. And I know our world is a scary place, but let me tell you, why is it that so many Christians today talk as if the world and their lives, like the sky is falling, everything is terrible everywhere all the time, like God is dead. Do you get that sense from other believers? That somehow God is no longer in control. Like, have you met Jesus? And yet we vote out of fear. We listen more to political talk than to Jesus. We isolate ourselves. We, we avoid people who are different from us or we oppress them. We, we hoard our time. We hoard our money. We overparent, overwork, underrest. We, we fight for control. We manipulate. We scheme. And we don't care who we leave behind. We live as if this moment is it. Is that our story, people? Have you met Jesus? Is he here? He is the first and the last, the living one. The one who died but lives, the one with the keys, the power over everything we fear. Is he here? then why are we so scared all the time? Fear him and you will fear nothing else. Don't fear him and you will fear everything else. And church, if we actually get this right, then we will be his lampstand. But you see the metaphor in the text that he's he's getting to? Like, if we do this, if we have our properly ordered fears, then we will be his church for the end of the world. And this, this is the last thing. If Jesus is here, this is what it's all pointing to. If Jesus is here, the church should make the darkness fear. We are the light of the world. That's what he calls us. That's, that's why this lampstand imagery is so important. We're going to unpack this over these next seven weeks together with these seven letters. He's describing what does it look like to be this light in our world. And if Jesus is really here, we should be that light and the darkness should be afraid. Poverty and, just, and injustice should be terrified Abuse and neglect should run. Sin and evil should cower because our light together should shine so brightly with compassion and love, kindness and hard work, selflessness and grace. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Is that who we are, church? And I don't, I don't just mean here, not just gathered, but scattered. You are that light. You carry the lampstand with you on Monday. Wherever you go with whatever you do, and Jesus is with you, and is he really here? Is he with us? A couple weeks ago, I spent a little time with uh, someone who's, who's fairly new to our church, has been here a, a few months, and it was a context in which I could, I could ask his, his story a little bit and find out just, you know, what, what's brought him here and background and all those kinds of things. And he said, it, he said I could share this, so I'm not, in case some of you are like afraid, I'm never telling Nathan anything. Um, I got his permission. Um, and he let me into his, his painful past, that he, he grow, grew up in a home that was toxically religious. I mean, so much so that he's been estranged from his parents since he was 18. Uh, and as a result, he has not been a part of a church community, a faith community, really for any of his adult life. But one of you invited him here, he and his family. And I was just talking about that experience, like what what is that like? Because they've they've tried 
occasionally over their married life together. But finally, he said this, but like, but I want to, I want to go here. That he actually looks forward to coming. And I just was like, really, why? Like, <laughs> and he just said so simply, because there's something different here. And church, I don't, maybe it's the donut holes. I don't know, right? I don't know, I don't know what it is. I don't presume, I don't presume to know. And I don't, I don't say this to, to pat us on the back because, listen, we have miles to go to be the church for the end of the world. And yet, I believe that Jesus is here. We believe in ways we don't understand, the ways we don't even know how to put our finger on, that he is here with us, the one we should fear, the one who drives out all of our fears, the one who shines through us so that we can be the light of a world that needs it so badly. Jesus is here. Church, do you believe that? And if, if, if so, what are we going to do about it? What else can we do? We worship. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe that you are here. We pray that you would make us whole and keep us whole. We pray that you would be the source and center of all that we do and say here at church, but in, in everything in our Monday lives in our world. I pray that we would fear you rightly, but in so doing that you would drive out all of our fears, that we could be light in a dark world. And that together, Lord Jesus, I pray that we as your people, in, in, in ways like John, like we'd fall on our face before you, that we would worship with delight and joy, knowing that you are the God who makes us whole. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are here in this place. Amen.